Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up to him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And when Jesus came and said to them, All authority uh, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. All right. Good morning. morning. How are we? I've already asked that question, and now you seem to be more awake. Music, you know, does that. Uh, Can I I get number two turned up a little bit here? Let there be light. Illuminate. You ever seen Demolition Man? Illuminate. Thank you. Um, All right. So there are four Gospels. Um, In other words, okay, so I, I try to make things understandable for people who don't who aren't real familiar with church. So the gospels, the stories of, the gospel means the good news. And so there's, there's four different accounts of the story of Jesus' life. Uh, and they're all contained in, in the Bible. And um, there's Matthew, Mark, there's Luke, and there's John. And each one kind of focuses on different things. Um, but they're all basically the same story about Jesus, his life, his, his teachings, his disciples, his death, burial, his resurrection. Um, but one of them, um, Matthew, says something really interesting that the others don't say at the end. Um, and so I'm going to focus on that today. We're going we're to talk about um, a specific thing that Matthew says about some of the followers of Jesus. Um, and then we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of uh, American history, if you will. I love history, and so I do that. Um, and, and then we're going to sort of try to tie this all together, something that has to do with um, uh, the human heart and how sometimes it's hard for us to accept things. So I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer and... Uh, And we're going to ask for understanding and wisdom, and so let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity that I have to stand up here and and to teach um, the story of your people. It's an honor. It's a privilege. Thank you for this amazing uh, day. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this community, what it means to so many of us for the grounding that it's given many of us in our lives and for the, um, the hope that we find um, on this very day through retelling the story of, um, of some mysterious event that happened 2,000 years ago. Um, help us to really understand what this is about. Thank you. In your name, amen. Okay, so that thing I was talking about, Matthew 28, it's right here. It says, um, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, um, we're going to pause here before we go any farther. So Jesus has risen from the dead and, and, um, and they saw him die and everything was kind of over for the disciples. And what do you do when it all ends? When uh, you're following this guy, he's starting something new, this revolution, and it all kind of falls apart. He's arrested and he's executed. 
you go fishing, you go back to your old jobs, you go back to your old ways, um, and you wonder what this was all about. Did I just waste three years of my life? And then suddenly Jesus is alive again, and he's, and he's appearing first to the, the women at the tomb, and then um, he says, go uh, tell the apostles. And, and so they go to tell the apostles, and when they get there, Jesus appears. He's like, ha, all that was for nothing. Um, and then, and then he's, <laughs> and he says, quick running, though. Give me a good time. Um, and then he says, uh, he says, all of you, you're going to go tell my brothers, um, and, and we're all going to meet at, at, the, uh, at, at Galilee. You're all going to travel to Galilee. For some reason, he wants to go. I could talk to you here. Well, we're going to go there. We're going to talk there. Um, more scenic. And so he sends them to Galilee, and you're going to gather the brothers. You're, we're all going to meet there, and I'm going to meet you. And, and so they, they go to Galilee, and it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain. So they meet on a mountain, uh, which Jesus had directed them. And verse 17 says something interesting. It says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And I, I never really paid attention to that, but some doubted. Now, if I was, if I was telling a story, um, I'm no Matthew incredible writer, smart dude. Um, but if I'm telling a story about something incredible that happened, it's hard to believe. Um, I'm going to tell it and I'm going to say, and I had all these friends with me and they all saw it. And I'm going to use a lot of hyperbole of the day. I'm going to say like their minds were blown, things like that. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to say, you know, we were all just shocked and stunned and in awe of what happened there. What I'm not going to say is, but half the guys that were with me didn't really believe. They had doubted. They, they thought maybe something else happened. Maybe what I'm seeing isn't really what I'm seeing. And so this kind of catches your eye. This is really interesting. Because if Matthew is telling a story and he's trying to convince people that this thing that happened actually happened, why would you include this? Well, because it's, it's part of it. It's part of the experience. It's part of um, us. It's, it's, it's kind of who we are. Um, and so the word that he uses for, the word, for doubted is this word distazo. Distazo means to stand. Um, dis means away. It's where we get our word um, distance. It's where we um, get the idea of you're, you're standing back from something. You're trepidatious. You, uh, you aren't sure. And so there's a sense in which some of the disciples maybe were feeling like some are in. They're worshiping. And, and some of them are feeling like maybe he's pulling something. Like, I, I don't believe that this, this doesn't happen. None of this fit in any framework. It didn't fit in the Jewish framework. They didn't believe that one person would rise from the dead in the middle of history. This, this is not anything that they believed. And so in order to understand this, in order to believe this and to buy in, they have to change their entire worldview, which is not easy to do. You don't just, you don't just do that, right? And so there's a few of them that are doubting and they're, they're there with Jesus. They walked with him for three and a half years. They saw miracles. They saw all kinds of things, and they heard him teaching. But then maybe they didn't see, but maybe they had heard because they kind of scattered when Jesus was arrested. So they knew he had died. Some showed up to see. Um, they heard he had died, and now he's alive standing. To, and so there's all kinds of questions. Well, did he really die? Is, is this really him? Um, what's he trying to pull? I don't, I don't fully understand. I don't quite believe. Um, if there's one thing that I've learned after nine, nine years of now of, of pastoring, um, it's, it's that every room is a mixed bag. Um, some people buy in. All they need is um, 
they're they're just they're, they need a little bit of a little bit of hope, a little bit of um, beauty, something that is philosophically satisfying, intellectually satisfying. Just little nuggets here and there. It doesn't all have to line out perfectly, um, but they believe that there is something deeper happening in the depths of their soul in this world, and so they they buy it and they're like, yes, I'm in. And then there's others who um, who really have a hard time buying into the idea that, and I get it, that somebody rose from the dead, that. Um, that anything mystical and mysterious happened. Um, and so this is kind of what I want to talk about today. Um, there's some, no matter how much you read or think or learn, there is this underlying unease about sort of jumping in. And so you stand at a distance and you observe and you think it's beautiful and you want to buy in, but you're just having a hard time with it. And so... Um, we, we welcome those here. Like, I'm glad you're here. And I want to talk about that this morning. Um, first, I want to talk about a little bit of, um, little bit of history. We're going to talk about uh, Manhattan in the 1880s. Um, there is a, there's a, there's a, yes, yes, massive subject jump. Um, there is, um, there's, there's a part of Manhattan in the 1880s, it was called, it was called Five Points. It was made famous by that, that movie, uh, Gangs of New York, right? Awesome movie. Um, and so, this is an area where all the immigrants lived. Um, it was incredibly poor. Uh, it was an awful place. And there is an investigative journalist. Back then, I think they were, back then, I think they were called Muckrakers, I think, um, which is another awesome name uh, if you're starting a band, Muckrakers. Um, so they were called Muckrakers, and, and he, there's one named um, Jacob Reese, and he had heard about the, the appalling conditions in which people are living in this small little part of Manhattan, um, that was surrounded by apparently pretty wealthy people. And so Jacob Reese sets off into this place to investigate, and what he finds there is absolutely appalling. Um, so he finds that it, it turns out that there's about 1.5 million people living in about 15,000 tenement buildings there. Um, most of the buildings are small, well, most of them are made of wood, um, and they're about three stories, two or three stories high, and um, they were all, these buildings are already about 100 and 150 years old at this point in time. So mid, early 1700s, they were built. And if you do the math on that, on that many people living in this few buildings, it's about 100 people per building. And they're all living there together. And so Jacob Reese sets off, um, usually after dark, and he's peeking in the windows of these houses, and he's gathering information, he's talking to people, and he's learning who these people are, they're immigrants, he's an immigrant, and so he has this connection with these people. And he had no idea, and nobody around them knew that there were people here living in squalor, this was ridden with disease, infestations of all types, the life expectancy was very low, um, people were dying all of the time, they were... They were um, suffering from malnutrition, um, starvation. Uh, many of them were children, um, elderly. It was this appalling situation. And Jacob Reese wasn't sure why nobody knew or cared, but he decided to make it his mission to do something about it. I mean, um, one of the quotes we have from his, from his notes is, he says, the sights I saw there gripped my heart until I felt that I must tell of them or burst. Now, um, have you ever, you ever seen something that's either so beautiful or so tragic or so moving that it's all you can think about and it's all you can talk about, even if it's just for a short period of time, maybe for a few weeks or a month? I, I have, you know. Um, and, and it seems like you're having these conversations and you try to steer every conversation towards this idea. 
This is heavy on my heart. I have to tell you about it. I believe it, and I want you to believe it. I believe that this is the greatest thing, or this is the most tragic thing, or this is the most unjust thing, or this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, and and you have to know about it. People have to believe this with me because it is so vital, and it will change um, your view of things. It will change the the people who hear about it. You have to hear about this. Um, There's a place in scriptures where the prophet Jeremiah, um, he's... He's part of a group of people called the Israelites, and sort of a, it was a kind of a tribal culture at the time, and he's looking around at his own people, and the, the crimes that they're committing against each other are absolutely atrocious. And, um, and so he's what we would call a prophet. He receives messages from God and delivers them to the people. And one of the things that he teaches about is, is the injustice that is going on among his people to the other people in the tribe. Um, and... There's uh, murder and there's rape. And every time he stands up and he says, there's a murder that happened here. Um, every time he gets up and he talks about the injustice, there's people starving and you guys are, are, have too much and they have nothing and, and you should help. And he's, every time he talks about this, people stand up and they say, shut your mouth. We don't want to hear it. Um, and they try to shut him down, but he can't stop talking. And so here's what he writes in Jeremiah chapter 20. He says, all I get for my God warnings are insults and contempt. But if I say, forget it, no more God messages from me. The words are a fire in my belly, a burning in my bones. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can do it. I can do it any longer. And then I hear whispering behind my back. There goes old danger everywhere. Shut him up, report him, right? Um, there's always those people who... To believe what you're saying would, would require me to change my view of everything. And so it's easier to just not believe what you're saying because it challenges sort of my view of how things work. And it would change how my life works. And so I don't, I don't believe it. I don't want to or I can't or it's too much. There better be a lot more evidence than you're just giving me than the word. What I actually need is not just the word. I need, I need the word to become flesh. That's what I need. I need to see it. I need it to be in, in, in my presence. And so Jacob Reese, knowing that nobody knows about the squalor and, and the pain and the suffering going on right in the middle of the city, um, it turns out that actually historically we can look back and see that, that Five Points was um, the most densely pop, one of the most densely populated places in the world at the time, which is staggering to me. Um, and so he decides, well, I'm going to tell people about this. And so he sets off and he starts writing uh, newspaper clippings and articles and, and giving lectures and, and, and nobody cares. Nobody believes him. There, he, he says, there are people who need salvation. There are people who need this. There are people suffering and dying. People just like you, women, children, elderly, and nobody really cares or believes and so he says, there's got to be something else to do. Maybe if I can get them closer to it. Maybe if, if there's some way I can get them closer to, to what I'm seeing. Because I didn't really know it either. That's why I had to go and investigate. And he, there's a wondering that's kind of in your head. If I hadn't seen it, would I believe it? And so he sets off um, to bring the people closer. And so there's this, uh, there was this brand new technology called photography at the time. And um, it was very complicated at, at this time. Uh, there were these glass plates and, and they, would, they would be used and they weren't very sensitive. So you had to have like a lot of lights for a long period of time and you can't get people to sit still for 45 minutes while you take their picture. So you had to have some sort of, we have flash now. They didn't have flash back then. And they were trying all kinds of ways to to light up rooms where you could take pictures, and he is just this amateur photographer. And so he's researching all these different ways to take pictures of these people, and eventually he, he learns that there is, um, 
two German brothers, um, like pyromaniacs in Germany, invent this sort of uh, um, flash powder mixed by like grinding up magnesium and mixing it with gunpowder, which is awesome, and putting it in these little trays and holding it above your head and, and setting off a small explosion above your head. Um, and he says, that's perfect. Of course, that's what I need. And so he orders it, and he gets it, and he puts together the, the thing, and he, he pours the powder in, and it's got a little ignition switch. And so what he does is he sneaks in because um, he wants to get them not posing. He wants to get the people not posing. He wants to do, do it at night so everyone's home. And he wants to get pictures of them resting in their houses. And so he sneaks in and he sets up this camera with this tripod and he, and he holds this thing above his head and he sets off these explosions and he escapes. Um, and, uh, and nobody knows that he's coming. Um, and it terrifies people. Um, and so he sneaks in basically and he walks in and he... And he and he sets up the thing, sneaking in, set up the snot, shot, and, and holds above his head, and just... Now, twice he, he actually almost blinded himself. Um, three times he actually set fire to the tenements he was taking pictures of, but then he put it out. Nice guy. Um, and so people write, um, let's see, one person says, there was a blinding flash, a patter of retreating footsteps, and the mysterious visitors were gone. Um, he writes, um, he writes in his book, he says, our party carried terror wherever it went. I love that. Um, but in the end, um, he gets his photographs. And he publishes them in a book. And the book is called How the Other Half Lives. And it, it wakes people up to what is happening. People have no idea that there are people just like them suffering in this way and there's something they could do about it and they just they never believed before people didn't believe the, the words of Jacob Reese until the images came into their midst and so in 1889 he, he binds these things all together and he, uh, he creates this book and it sold incredibly well and the photographs were incredibly moving and, and one of the things is, is that I, th- I think what changed people's minds is, and he writes about this too is the fact that you can see suddenly in the eyes of these people um, they're looking back at you and, and it's like this idea this word this, these things that he's been saying suddenly they're in flesh the word became flesh and it's there among them and that that's what moves them to change now um this takes us back to the mountain in Galilee. And so Jesus is there in Galilee. He meets them on this mountain and, and it says, um, and the disciples were there. There was 11 of them now. One of them overcome with shame and guilt for betraying Jesus, hung himself in a field. Um, and so now there's 11. And so they meet Jesus there on top of this mountain and they see him and they, they worship him. And there's a few standing in the back and it says that they don't believe. They're, I mean, they're doubting. It's not that they don't believe, it's that they're doubting. Um, and how does Jesus respond to them? The answer to that question is actually pretty wonderful because it's not the way that we tend to respond to people who are having trouble believing today. Um, Jesus doesn't walk up and say, you don't have enough faith, you need to get out. Absolutely not. He doesn't say, you're useless because you don't believe strong enough. Um, uh, he, he doesn't honestly seem to have any real desire um, to say anything that would fix their doubt. Um, he doesn't say, you have weak faith, you're going to have to get it together before we move forward together. He, he kind of leaves the doubts there, 
And then he draws close and he says something. Now, I would argue what it says next is um, spoken directly to the doubters because it talks about, it says, people worshipped him and then there were doubters there. And then the connotation that we have is that Jesus is speaking to them. Um, And here's what he says. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, there's a, there's a lot here, especially for the doubter, okay? Um, first off, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So... The idea of go, go and make disciples of all nations, um, the disciple would, was the students, that the students would gather around the rabbi, the Talmudim, and they would sit and they would listen. So the idea is that anyone who will listen to you, anyone who asks a question, anyone who is open to hearing this, talk to them. You who are doubting, I want, I want you to do this. Uh, you, you walked with me for three and a half years. We, I was with you, and you saw what I did, and you believe in my teachings. What you're having trouble with is this miraculous thing. He says, and so, I, so I, what, what I want you to do is I want you to talk to anyone who will listen. Teach them everything that you know about me, everything that you saw. Make disciples of no matter where they're from, all nations, every tribe, every tongue. Anyone who will listen to you, I want you to talk to them, and I want you to teach them. And then he says... Um, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, people oftentimes interpret this to mean you're going to dunk them underwater and you're going to say something, particular words, while you're dunking people. I would argue, and, and there's a lot of other scholars, Dallas Wilder is one of them, who would argue that what he's actually saying here is the word, the word baptizo means to immerse. Okay? Um, he says you're going to immerse these people that, that, that you are, who are open to listen and you're going to talk to them about me, you're going to teach them everything, you're going to immerse them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What is that? Um, triune, tri- we call it the Trinity. It's this doctrine of the Trinity. And, and a thing about doctrines, doctrines are, are really, um, they're important, but they're not important in the way that we have made them. They're important because of what they teach us about the nature of God. They're not just things that, we make doctrines as in they're just things to know, like dates and history. No, these things are important to know because they mean something to the way that you interact with the world. Because the idea of the Trinity um, is that God is um, this community, a dynamic community of self-giving love. Three in one. And each member of the Godhead is pouring themselves out and submitting to the other. And this one's doing to this one. This one's doing to this one. And um, beginning of scriptures tell us that, that we were created in the image of God out of this sort of this community of, of self-giving love. The, at the heart of the universe, the, the mind that holds everything together, that, that, that thought all of this through is a divine like community of God. And so we were created out of this to take part in it in a relationship with God, right? So um, you're going to teach anyone who will listen, you're going to tell them about Jesus, that the things that you know, the things that you have seen, the things that he has done, and I want you to immerse them in a relationship with God that is centered on service, washing the feet, the things that you have seen Jesus do pouring yourself out for the other. And he says, and you're going to do this. You're going to immerse, baptize, immerse them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. The word observe is, is an interesting word. Uh, it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean like see. Observe is, um, in the ancient sense, it's you observe a feast. You observe um, 
the law you observe. It's, it's taking part in. It's sitting down at the table, eating. It's doing. It's this action. And so the idea of observing something, um, it's taking part in. And so you're going to teach them everything uh, that you know about me if they will listen. You're going to immerse them in a community of God, in, 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 in the worship of God, in the, through the service of each other. In, and you're going to teach them to observe, teach them to take part in this. And so we're all going to take part in this together. And that all that I've commanded you. And then he says, and behold. The word behold is great. It's an ancient Greek word. It, it means it do. It literally, literally means look. You're going to do all of this, and then I want you to look. I want you to look around, and you will see that I am with you, always, the entire time. You see, one of the problems is we want people to mentally ascend to things. We want people to believe things because of information, because of uh, word, because of law, because of commands, Um, but the word became flesh for a reason. God did this to get incredibly close. And the closer you get, and I, I would argue the closest, the, the best way to understand God, to believe God, if you're struggling with that, is to take part in what he is doing. Dive in. If you're having a hard time with the resurrection, things don't come back from the dead. Have you tried it? Have you found something, a relationship or a marriage or a family or a person in poverty, something that is just hopeless and dead and has been abandoned by everyone else and by society and everyone has just said, well, we've buried that. That's over. Have you tried bringing it back to life? Because if you haven't tried, how do you know it's not possible? And in doing so, in taking part in what God is doing, you will find, you will open your eyes and you will look and you will see. Behold, I am with you. God is, wow, this is real. I mean, the, the idea of the resurrection is that something was just, it doesn't get more dead than that. Three days, rotting, smelling corpse, decomposing in a tomb. And it's back. And so we, when I say I believe in resurrection, that it doesn't just mean I mentally ascend to the idea that I believe a historic event happened 2,000 years ago. No, I believe in resurrection. What what do you have? What did you bring to the table that's broken? What can we do to fix it? Don't give up. It's not hopeless. It's not over. Let's let's fix it. Let's go. And so by taking part in this, I mean, the prophets, what were they doing? They were proclaiming the word, and people rarely bought into it. And they were writing the law and putting it out there, and people rarely bought into it. And there came a time when the word became flesh. And so... Oftentimes, our problem is that we have this word and we're trying to buy into this word, but the word isn't very convincing. What's convincing is the flesh. And so if you don't put it on, you don't do it. I mean, um, the, the doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus, um, it's actually, the wording is hilarious. Incarnation, it means God in meat, in flesh, you, you know, chili con carne is chili with meat, right? Um, the incarnation is God in the flesh, God with meat. Um, and so God literally, like, he... He came so close to you that he became you, like exactly like you, to show you what this is about. And then he says, so if you're doubting, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go. I want you to talk. I want you to teach the things that I, I want you to just follow me. Follow Jesus. Do the things that I did. Teach the things that I taught. Immerse people in the community of God um, and bring them into a relationship with all of this. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded, like the, all the things that I have said to do, um, Teach them to do them as well. And then one day they're going to wake up and say, oh, of course I believe it. Of course I do. 
That is the most convincing way. And, and so I feel like I was raised in a time when it was all about knowledge. And a vast majority of the kids that I grew up with mentally ascended, but it never became flesh. And we sit down and talk, and they're all agnostics, and they don't buy it, and it's because they didn't see it. And so today we celebrate Easter, we celebrate the resurrection, and by celebrating, I I would ask that we not celebrate it, we observe it. We put it on. We find broken things, and we help people fix them. And the Christians, we talked about last week, the feast, they would get together and they would, uh, they would make sure everybody was fed. And what that would look like today is, how are you? How are you doing emotionally? How are you doing? How's your marriage? How's your family? Um, is your light bill paid? Okay. You have a place to stay? Okay. What can I do? What, what's broken? What have you given up on? And we dive in as the community of Jesus, as the body of Christ, and we make the word flesh. And Jesus said, and they will know you by your fruits. And Jesus said that it's the good works that bring people to believe and understand. And so the best way to respond to this is through communion. And so we at Watermark take communion every single week um, because we believe um, the broken body of Christ, the spilled blood of Christ is the only hope for this world. And as we follow Jesus, we learn that he poured himself out for us when we didn't deserve it. And then he says, stand up and follow me. And so we learn to pour ourselves out for those around us who do not deserve it because in the same way we didn't. And by doing this, we are taking part in the Easter resurrection and we are telling everyone everywhere that there is hope, there is forgiveness, things can be reconciled, things can be made whole again. And it may not look the same when it's resurrected. I mean, Jesus had scars on his hands and his side and in the holes and where the where the thorns had, had punctured his skin on his head and, and, and the stripes on his back. And so it may, it may look a little different. You're going to see the scars of a heavily worn and beaten up thing, but, but it, it, it can be brought back and made something incredibly beautiful, but now with a story to tell other people about the resurrection. And so let's take some time, and we're going to take communion. And, and, and we're going to remember what Jesus did for us. And then we're going to respond with one more song. And then we're going to go out and we're going to celebrate, right? And we're going to eat. And we're going to be aware and we're going to be present of those around us and the hope that they need. And you're going to speak truth and life into each other. Yeah? Yeah. Happy Easter. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for everything that you are doing for us. Revive our hearts. Heal our souls. Cleanse our community, make us whole again, um, fix the things that are broken, reconcile the things that are irreconcilable, everything that is torn, mend it, everything that is, uh, that, is, that is broken, fix it, and use us in any way possible to do this. Thank you, God. We love you. In your name, amen. Take some time and talk to Jesus.